to Start Worrying Details to Follow, the podcast about democracy and technology. My name is Karin Pettersson. My name is Georg Dietz. And this week we met with our dream guest, Kaz Mödde, the Dutch political scientist. We did a live podcast with him in Stockholm. Yeah, it was great. All your favorite Stockholm people came, all yes. these intellectual, uh, elitist, uh, lefty people that you know in the city. No, it was an open uh, open event, open to everyone, and a good crowd. Good crowd, con- great conversation, I thought, um, because Kaz is really... Um, on the one hand, an expert on this word that we try to... Uh, the P word. The P word that we try to avoid or use. You, you dragged the word again into the podcast. <laughs> well, he wrote a book about the populism and he's been uh, researching the rise of the radical right for a very long time before it was trendy. Populism is the word. Populism is the word. And what was the meaning? That was what we tried to figure out with him. Ooh, yes. well, what does it mean for you? I mean, you... Do you use it? Do you think it's a key to understand what's going no, on? I think you you are right that we uh, a lot of people use it in a non-precise way. And I think uh, in this conversation, we came closer to a, a, a good definition, I think. And we also prob- um, we talked about the problematic uses of the word. But we also spent a lot of time talking about the future of uh, social democracy or the other crisis in in, uh, in politics these days, uh, the rise of the right, but also the collapse of, collapse the, of the middle or collapse of the established yeah. uh, parties. We talked about Italy. A little. A little. We talked about Germany, a little. And Sweden. Um, but mainly about uh, social democracy, yeah. which is uh, a topic... Close our heart. <laughs> it's close to mine. Yeah, not so close to mine, as you know. But um, but I'm, I'm I'm trying to be uh, empathetic about that. Um, so, hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you're uh, a fan, if you like it, please uh, share it and rate it uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, uh, very welcome everyone to this episode of Start Worrying Details to Follow. Uh, this is a podcast by Aftonbladet, uh, 60 pages. Uh, it's co-published with Social Europe. And it's hosted by me, Karin Pettersson, formerly at Aftonbladet, now at Schibstedt, and by Georg Dietz at, um, of Der Spiegel. Yeah, never at Schibstedt. Uh, <laughs> still at Spiegel. Still at Spiegel. And um, tonight we are very, very happy to have uh, one of our dream guests, um, here at Kulturhuset, uh, the Dutch political scientist Kaz Mödde, who is uh, a researcher now at the University of Georgia. Uh, and he, um, he's, he's, as I said, he's Dutch. He's a soccer fan. He uh, uh, tragically watched a, a AIK game uh, last night, which made me super disappointed. Um, but more importantly, Kaz talked about and researched is issues of populism and the rise of the radical right long before it was trendy. So uh, he's the person to talk to about these issues. And I want to start asking about the word, the P word, <laughs> populism. It's this, it's this omnibus word. It's used by everyone. Sometimes it feels like it's used of, used of everything. You can call anybody a populist nowadays. Some, some people want to be populists. Uh, some people claim the word. It's everywhere. Um, and uh, I think, George, you, 
wrote in a tweet um, today something that I want to start with. Populism, is it the answer or is it a question? <laughs> um, I, it is true that populism is used in many different ways, but so is the word democracy. Like we even had the German Democratic Republic, for example, Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and we don't do away with the word just because people use it wrongly. Um, it's kind of ironic that at the time that more and more the term is used and very widely within, within academic circles, there is actually much more of a consensus on what it means than there has been ever before, which is not by any way to say that there is a consensus. There never is a consensus in academia. Um, but most people use it now as a set of ideas that, that um, focus on the distinction between the good people and the bad elite. And then their interpretation of whether it is an ideology or more a discourse, whether the distinction is primarily about, about morality or something else. Um, the problem, of course, is that it is a buzzword and it's a sexy word. And so if you want to sell anything, be it a new book or an article, you just attach the word populism and you get attention. And, and I think that's what is creating a lot of new confusion. Um, but that shouldn't keep us away from using the term because it does help us understand parts of what is going on. At but does it? I mean, that's the, the, the question I ask myself. I read uh, New York Times today, and we live in an era where media is uh, not only under uh, threat, but also part of a problem of communicating complex uh, issues, I think. So uh, in Italy, more than half of the uh, vote went to populist parties. So, so that was the, the argument. And it didn't sort of make any sense because it's in a depoliticized way somehow a uh, description of, of, an, uh, of an election that, that you could also say, well, left and right and middle got this and that, sort of those, those percentages. So, so the, the word itself is, um, as you say, it's so empty, and, but it's overly used. And, 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 and that's highly problematic in, in, the, in the media sense. No? Yeah, it is, but uh, particularly the recent Italian election, actually, it is the word, because while you can capture the Lega, formerly Lega Nord, also as radical right or as nativist, the five-star movement can really only be captured through the term populism, because that is the core of their message. And it is, it is important, um, because... Like normally, populism attaches itself to something else. And on the right, that tends to be nativism. On the left, that tends to be some form of socialism. But in the early 20th century, nativism and socialism attached itself to elitism, to groups like fascism or Marxism-Leninism, which believed that the people were actually not the good forces and had to be led by an avant-garde that was better. Right? Today that is no longer claimed. It's the leaders of Syriza or Front National or Five Star Movement claim that they are one of the people, that they share those values. And I think, at the very least, that shows us that the democratic ideal like, is, is now beyond debate. Um, and, and I think that is very important. It also shows the change in relationship between... The, gov the, the ones that govern and the ones that are governed. Right? And, and so I think 
those are things that we should focus more on and that tell us something. They don't tell the whole story, but they do tell us something. Can we start here to try to unpack um, the whole situation that's um, maybe hidden behind this word? You say, for example, Syriza is populist, as is Front National. Um, you, in your book about populism, which is very interestingly critical also of, of the usage of the word. You, you um, make explicitly the point that Syriza is a reaction to a dysfunctional uh, politics by the European Union, which is also not a democratically, uh, fully democratically organized uh, entity, one could say. So it is a, it's an understandable reaction that's not even mainly um, nativist, obviously, but it's economically founded. And what, what, why would it make sense to use that word populism for a very distinct Greek situation and say, well, Front National, which is decidedly uh, anti-globalization, anti-immigration uh, and, and nativist um, in the same way? Isn't that blurring all lines? Isn't that confusing? Isn't that sort of a depolitization of an argument that, that needs to be made sort of without... Um, Made, made more clearly. No, I think it's it's a little bit the same. Like we say, center left and radical left, right? And and that means that they have a left wing agenda, but they're centrist or they're radical. Like Syriza is not just populist. Syriza is a left wing populist party. Um, they can be understood in part through their socialist agenda, which by and large more social democracy, but not only because there were other parties that offered that. When you, when you hear their discourse and when you look at why they're supported, it is very much an anti-elite voice. Um, and so the, the, the social democracy alone or the socialism alone doesn't tell the whole story. And, and, and that's the same for the Front National. Now, beyond the populism, the two parties don't have anything in common. right? And so it makes sense to compare a party like Syriza also to a left-wing party that isn't populist to explain that part of the agenda. But to take the populism out, like, I think, takes out the key reason why people vote for them. But, and, oh, sorry. Just to go back to the definition then of populism, you touched on it briefly. Um, maybe we should have stayed there for, for just a moment because if I understand the, um, your definition correctly, it's exactly that, that you see um, the populist, the people as a whole, as a kind of a mystical whole, And it's also uh, the, the populist politicians see themselves as the spokespersons of the people. And within the people, there are no conflicts and they are just one kind of mystical being. Is that more or less correct, you would say? Yes, I mean, in my interpretation, and of course everyone has their own, but I mean, some people agree with me. Um, the distinction is between two homogenous groups that are in an antagonistic relationship. And so the people are one, and the elite are one. And the key distinction is moral. The people are good, all of them. And the elite are evil, are bad, corrupt, all of them. And, and that's another important part, because first of all, because it's monistic, like the group is seen as, as one, there is no... There are no different views, and therefore you don't need consensus because you make consensus between two different views. But there are only two views. One is pure, when one is corrupt. They don't have the same morality, and so you don't compromise with them. 
And that leads to a polarized discourse and debate. And, and I think that's what we see wherever populism becomes strong. Obviously, polarization can only come from both sides, right? And so societies in Europe or North America, the US in particular, have polarized not only because of the populist, but also because of the others. And what we see is an anti-populist discourse, which has almost a similar type of yeah. morality. Think about Hillary Clinton speaking about the deplorables that voted for Trump. But isn't that, um, just going back to George's argument, isn't that the argument that you were m- making that populism um, populist parties are always a reaction to something, to a political failure, to a lack of... Um, yeah, this uh, is something in a way uh, Representation or... By, yeah, yeah. So, um, but this is overshadowed by this word somehow. It, 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 it makes the distinction, it's them and, and, and we don't have anything it's to criticize bad. for. It's just bad, it's just a bad thing. It's just bad somehow mm-hmm. and, and, and it doesn't open up the discourse. Yeah, but that's, that's the way you interpret it. Like, I'm personally anti-populist, but that doesn't mean that I, that I don't take into account anything that they say. I actually think that, that most of the populists have, have had both positive and negative effects on, um, on our debate, most notably by politicizing or repoliticizing certain issues like immigration or the European Union or uh, austerity policies, right? The fact that it is used to to pretty much dismiss right, groups, I mean, that th- there's a long history of that. Like populism is just one term. Extremism was the one that we used in the 80s, like the radical right or the unseriousness, protest parties. Like I mean, establishment always finds a way to to kind of destabilize their their opponent. So you can use the word, as you say, as a key to unlock. Uh, some of the mysteries of the last 10 years, basically. I mean, it's... Yeah, and do even you, longer. Do you, do you start with the Great re- Recession in 2008, in a way, and, and, and another big or important even factor? even before that, maybe you started in the 90s, or... Yeah. Where, where yeah. Would you, when do you start? Well, if we talk about what the time we're in now, that started probably in the late 1980s, early 1990s, with the breakthrough of what was then mostly called extreme right or radical right parties. Um, but think about uh, Front National in France or the FPÖ in Austria. Both had sizable support already in the 1990s and had very strongly already a populist discourse. Now, there are some outliers. We had populism, of course, in Denmark and Norway already in the 70s with the, with the progress parties. Um, we had PASOK in Greece going back to the 70s. But in the current, the current movement that we see started on the right seriously in the 1990s, and the Great Recession really created some left-wing populist movements, but much fewer than people actually expected. But created also the economic foundations for um, Trumpism, for example. I mean, isn't that, together with the um, refugee crisis, aren't those the two major events that that made that surge in populism, um, that caused that surge in populism? Plus technology, um, we, we will focus on that. But yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, the the the, the Great Recession, which which was very different in the U.S., much shorter, um, created the Tea Party, right? And to a certain extent, the Trump is is a, an outlier of that. Um, but if you look at electoral results, 
then the Great Recession has pretty much doubled the result of populist parties in Europe. Um, which means that, yes, it had a significant effect, but more a catalyst than a cause. They didn't create it, they strengthened it. The, the refugee crisis, or so-called refugee crisis, had a much stronger impact, but p- potentially much shorter too. Um, most of the populist radical right parties peaked um, at all-time highs in the 2016 first half and dropped back to a bit higher levels than they were before. And the question is, like, how long that effect lasts? So we've been talking about the rise of populism, mainly the rise of um, the radical right populism. But another theme in your writing is um, the, the other big trend, which is the, the weakening of the middle, so to speak. The, more maybe even the ideological weakening of the middle. And you, um, you talk about the social democratic parties, but also the big conservative uh, parties in Europe. And they have been... We talk so much about the rise of the radical right, but we don't talk as much. We talk about it as well, but we don't talk about it, about it as much. Talk about as much the weakening of the big party structures that created... Um, Europe and European politics as we know it. And I would like to ask you, how are the, those two trends connected, uh, if, if at all, and how do they depend on each other? Yeah, I think, um, in part, they're both connected to the same structural changes of society that go back to I mean, roughly what's called the post-industrial revolution, where the economy shifted from industrial to more service sector, which made jobs like more flexible, uh, require different um, skills. Um. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Made women more in the workforce, all kind of shifts that have created partly green parties, but then also radical right parties. It weakened social democratic parties because the working class became smaller. It went together with secularization that weakened the Christian democratic parties. But then what you also see is in the 21st century a much more fundamental change. Um, In part, I think that the decline of social democracy was kind of halted for a while through the third wave, by and large by just becoming a different party, a center-right party. Um, and then it catalyzed once that turned out actually not to deliver what it was promised to do. Um, I, think the, I think the Great Recession, to me, the most important effect has not been on populism, has been on the mainstream, on the political status quo. Before the Great Recession, almost all parties, at least rhetorically, agreed on what I've called the integration consensus, which was... European integration, economic immigration, integration, and cultural integration as a multiculturalism. Now, of course, rhetoric was much stronger than policies. We all know that, but that was being defended. 
the Great Recession undermined all of them. Yet today we still live in a world that is shaped by European integration, economic integration, and ethnic integration. But almost no one defends it anymore as a model. And, And I think that is the ideological vacuum that we're dealing with today. And that creates a massive opportunity for most notably like the populist radical right, who actually does have a message and is throwing that into a vacuum, which means that they set the agenda. They determine what issues we talk about, but importantly, also how we talk about them. And the other parties just respond to that and by and large say, well, this is far too extreme. We should do this more like with experts with it and think about it. But in the end, you're still pretty much managing their agenda. So would you say that the problem, so going back then to the Great Recession and the, uh, the effects of that, you're saying that we live in this kind of, in this world uh, with a political logic that is still existing but that no one is defending. So is the problem that the mainstream parties are not de- defending the, the policies that are, we still l- live with or is the problem that they don't have a, an agenda for reforming, <laughs> for reforming them? Well, so there, there are two answers to them. that. Yeah. I mean, One is a a neutral answer, which is, yes, it it is a problem where you have a political system and reality that shapes your life at a time that, by and large, we all have to pay a price because it's not going very well. And you don't have a story why we have that. Like, your only story is, well, the alternative is worse. Um, Then there's a normative answer, which goes from my own personal opinion, which I I am kind of an old-school social democrat. And so, yes, there is a major problem with the current consensus. I think all of them should be reformed and should be reformed well beyond just a few policy changes. Um, The center-left clearly needs to be center-left, which they haven't been in decades. Um, But even the ones that try to think about economic inequality which ironically was an issue in the US, but not in Europe, um, they do that without ever, for example, really challenging European integration. Whereas to me, they're completely connected. Um, And so the same with multiculturalism. Clearly, that is a transformation of your society. Any good social democrat knows that the state has to play an important role in that. But they don't have a vision on it. Um, so I, I think that we need, we need visions, not just social democratic vision. We need a Christian democratic vision too. We haven't heard that in a while, or a liberal one. The fact that there are now all kind of right-wing politicians in power doesn't necessarily mean that their ideologies are in power. Mark Rutte, who is my prime minister in the Netherlands, is a leader of no, uh, nominally a liberal party and by and large implements a conservative policy with some kind of nativist tendencies. Sebastian Kurz in in Austria is kind of doing the same, although he came from Christian Democratic Conservative part, but is also largely implementing an agenda set by by FBO. So I think the left has the biggest crisis, and me personally, I'm the most disappointed by it, but the mainstream right is not far behind. Coming from... Germany, where yesterday was the decision by the SPD to um, go into a a coalition with the CDU once more, uh, which is uh, a deadly downward spiral, I would argue, or one could argue, sort of number-wise. They they, um, have 
have have the votes than, that now that they had 20 years ago. And you say, I think rightly, sort of that in in in, in the 90s, these parties uh, in the U.S. with Clinton and Blair, with Labour and and Schröder in, in Germany, they um, completely, in a way, uh, rebranded themselves and and became something else. So so SPD now has 16% in Germany. They 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 poll at, um, and then they have the old per, old personnel uh, from, in a way, uh, either catering to security or uh, catering to the aging population. Um, th those are the main uh, issues. So I, I'm, that's also our argument always. I, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm totally interested in any perspective for the social democratic parties uh, in Europe, but I'm, I, with that personnel, with that situation, with, with, with no clear redistributional uh, fervor or, or any, any kind of... Um, <laughs> answers to globalization or to neoliberalism, it's, it's not going to happen, no? No, and actually, I'm going to be more gloomy than that. <laughs> I personally don't think that the rejuvenation of social democracy can come from within the, the current social democratic parties. And the, and the reason is pretty simple. Like when we talk about the third way, or Neue Mitte, we're talking about the 90s. Right? And so we talk about almost any politician within the SPD or the PvdA, whatever the party is, that is now 45 or younger, right? thinks that social democracy is the Neue Mitte. Right? And so when they think we go back to the core, right, they go back to Blairism. Um, and so I think that the rejuvenation of social democracy, which is to a certain extent going back to the 70s, but not social democracy for white working class males, but actually more inclusive towards women and towards non-whites and towards the pre precariat, um, has to come from outside, has to come from new social movements, from NGOs, from perhaps new political parties, which will then push social democracies, establish social democratic parties into pre pretty much tactical but, coalitions. But what should it be then? What, the ideology? No, I, the ideology, I, uh, but what would, um, what would a good political conflict look like between the right and the left that would kind of uh, take away the energy from, from the populists and bring back the you know, discussion to um, a well, more healthy arena? Well, first of all, we have to accept that the, the time of two-party systems is over and it won't come back mm -hmm. because politics is no longer one-dimensional. Politics is at least three-dimensional, with a socio-economic one, a social-cultural one, which is between, let's say, authoritarianism and libertarianism, and then a global versus nationalist one. Um, that, that creates more parties, and it creates smaller parties. Right? And so if you're going to reform your social democratic party, you don't do that with the, the, the aim of going back to 40% or 50 If you have 20% and it's relatively stable, you're going to be among the three biggest parties in your country. Right? But what should it be? I, mean, I think it's totally obvious that it's economic inequality. Like economic inequality has skyrocketed in countries like Sweden or in the Netherlands. We have working poor in the Netherlands. Like we have a precariat that is growing rapidly. Um, we have to find within that idea of, of creating a more equal society, we also have to think about the realistic perspective within whatever, a decade or more, 
of robots taking away almost all of the menial tasks and even better educated tasks. So basic income, for example. Like, all of those things should be addressed, but through the issue Karen, of Karen class. doesn't believe in basic income. I don't believe in basic income. She's a good social democrat. No, yeah. we need no, work. I, I personally, <laughs> I'm personally conflicted on it. I don't have a final statement. But it should be discussed and it should be crucial because full, full employment... Full employment is also it's, it's just not realistic anymore. And so we have to think differently about what work is, how we value it, because if we don't do that, we're going to have a permanent group of whatever, 20%, that is marginalized in society because there's no job for them. Okay, so this is my favorite topic, the decline and possible future of social democracy. So I'm going <laughs> to stick with it for just another uh, couple of questions. And so my, I guess I agree with most of what you say. Um, but a problem with the view or just... I guess accepting the idea that social democracy should become a much smaller political force or cannot may, maybe you know attract more than 20-25%. Isn't wouldn't the risk be that it becomes a, a much? I mean the the attraction of social democ democracy is it's is that it's pragmatic. It builds coalition. It's for the many, not the few. It's not an identity. Uh, it's not about identity. It's about uh, universal values. Isn't it a risky strategy to say that we will only represent, uh, we only aim to represent 15 or 20 percent? Wouldn't you give up the whole idea of um, what, it, what social democracy should be? No, I see it a little bit as trade unions traditionally. Right. I mean, they also fought for all the workers, even though yeah. a minority of them were members of it. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about Sweden. Like, yeah. you, you can like think about 20% social democratic vote as, as problematic. For the Netherlands, that would be like a dream no, that is not going to come true. Most European <laughs> countries these days. Um, but no, I mean... I. This is not about who you represent. This is how, who, who you, by and large, convince. Like you should fight for the socially weak, like, and and whether whether they vote for you or not, um, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't define yourself as a special interest group for for a small group, and you shouldn't only cater to those who vote for you. I mean, you should defend an ideology. Uh, you should you should lead rather than follow. Um, but can we sort of to, to I think it goes to your point mm -hmm. and to the point how to reform um, an idea maybe not a party but but how to rejuvenate uh, or how to how to bring back the idea of, of uh, justice into the into the realm and and, and you describe in, in your book populist movements or the movements that you say are populist like um, Occupy Wall Street or or Podemos and and they bring sort of um, the back issues of global justice or justice in a society or, or movements like in Barcelona for the anti-gentrification movement. And, um, but you still, in a way, describe them or, or the other way around. So you, you're making the positive point that populism is, can be a, a voice of a reasonable voice of change, of criticism and, 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 and renewal. If you don't have to be afraid all the time of the system can, can sort of should let down its guard and in a way let itself be innovative, sort of let those innovative forces work. Yeah, I just think that you, that you should advance that 
progressive agenda without the populism. Like Occupy Wall Street had this slogan of the 99%, right? Uh, arguing that like there was 1% and that was kind of evil. It wasn't just rich and played the system. It was immoral. And then 99% who had the same interest, which was nonsense. Like I was at Sukhadi so Park. 99% who were fucked. I mean, that was the argument. It wasn't about interest. But it was they about were, injustice. Yeah, but they uh, were fucked in very different ways. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, is, it was amazing. What was the key topic? The key topic was student debt. You know how few Americans actually can afford to go to university? Like, that is a luxurious problem in the U.S. On top of that, most of the student debt came from private universities, not at public universities. And where, do, where did they want to change it? They wanted to, the state to pay for those universities. That's not an issue. That's an issue for what? Fifteen percent of the no, population. No, but to be fair, they also went to black uh, families who were, uh, had lost their houses and, and, and protested that and went to A court. Um, I mean, that was part of, of the movement. So I think it's, it is about the city and it's about solidarity in the city. And I'm, I'm still interested in, in the city as a place for political reorientation uh, or re. Uh, yeah, so to rethink left politics. But isn't it paradoxical? Because you're saying that the the renewal of the left must come from uh, movements, social activism, NGOs. Isn't that exactly? I mean, this is something that gave energy to the Bernie Sanders campaign, and uh, you know, made uh, created um, a new generation of uh, politically aware uh, young people who then you know um, became members in the Democratic Party. Couldn't you argue that it's exactly the thing that you were asking for? No. Okay, for the sake of argument, we take the populism out, which yeah. actually I think Bernie Sanders didn't didn't run a populist campaign and ran on very similar issues. Um, yes, there was activism. Um, it was very white. I mean, Bernie Sanders' campaigns were as white as, as Donald Trump campaigns. Um, they were also still obsessed with very white middle-class issues, like student debt um, and like internet, like privacy and those kind of things. The question is, has, is it a movement? Right? I'm not sure. Um, I know the Tea Party was a movement, and I know that they're still around. I know that they have f fundamentally changed politics throughout the U.S. I did an interview with Occupy Radio five years ago, and it was literally in a kind of a basement in Eugene, Oregon. And I asked the guy, like, so, so how did, like, are you, like, the official Occupy Radio? That seems weird. I said, yeah, I bought it. So he had bought the right to occupy radio from some dude. I think 500 bucks he had to pay for it. Um, and the reason was there was no infrastructure. And this is the big problem of both Occupy and later the Bernie Sanders campaign. As soon as Bernie Sanders was defeated by Hillary Clinton, that campaign was gone. There was no down-ballot plan. And in the end, there was no effect. I think that many of the issues that Bernie Sanders' campaign and Occupy raised are good. I think the frame in which they do it, 99 versus 1, is deceitful. Um, it, e it equalizes the problems of this, the very privileged, who are just not as privileged as the 1%, with those who are insanely not privileged. In the US, people die because it's freezing, right? Even on, on Sukedi Park, where Occupy Wall Street was, you had the camp, and then you actually had a homeless camp within it, 
There was no interaction between the two. Now, the homeless camp was predominantly non-white. The other part was predominantly white. Right? They don't interact. Why don't they interact? Because they have different interests. Right? And so we, we should be honest about that. You don't, we have privilege. Like, and that doesn't, even if you're not part of the 1%, you have privilege. And we profit from that system. Are we really willing to fundamentally change that system? I think those questions are not addressed. It's easy to say, well, the 1% has to pay. But if US politics should really become more so solidaire, I will have to pay much more because I'm in the 10%. Yeah, so that leads uh, up to another question because I saw a tweet um, that you wrote with um, 10 points about um, social democracy, uh, which I found very smart. But one of them was that, one of the points was that um, there's no lack of demand for social democratic policies. It's just, there's just a lack of supply. I'm, 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 this was not how you put it, but mm. there's just... There's just bad, you know, social democratic parties. But do you um, do you think that's true? I just want to ask the question. Do you think that there is still a demand for those kind of policies? Um, and polls show it over and over, yeah. including in the U.S. So it is just the political parties who are not capable of capturing that. No, there is there is more. Um, unfortunately, it is about how you package policies. And so the US is a very good example. Like poll after poll shows massive support for redistributive policies. But as soon as you give it a certain name of generally the name that the right wing has given it, there's no support. Obamacare is a very good example. Like all the fundamentals of Obamacare were broadly supported. Obamacare itself was deeply unpopular. This is where the left has lost hegemony decades ago in a sense that is more fundamental, I think, than they realize, because the core values and terminology, like class, like solidarity, like redistribution, like to a certain extent welfare, have all been captured by the right and are now negative. And so if you, if you, if you by and large defend social democratic policies in those terms, people who support them in other terms will vote against it. And so that, that is where you have to do the groundwork, which is kind of Gramscian. You really have to change the political culture before you can change the politics. You have to explain again that like, redistribution is not taking away from the hardworking and the rich. Like, you, ha you, have to you have to explain to people that they profit from a welfare system too. But you have to be honest. Like, why would young people f support massive redistribution that goes disproportionately towards the rich into a system that they will never profit from. Like, if, if I were 18, 19, 20, and I would have to pay large parts of my taxes into a welfare state that I know is not just a bad feeling or a conspiracy theory, that I know I will be lucky if I have 80% of it, right? That's difficult, right? So, you, so you, have, you have to be open about it, you have to think about it, and then you have to go back into the streets and convince people why this is good. So, but you're saying in a way, which I find interesting, is that in, in the early 80s with Reagan and Thatcher, it wasn't mainly or, or even... Um, uh, 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 it wasn't mainly an economic 
system that was established, neoliberalism, but it was a system of thinking. So if an un, what started was the massive unlearning process of what society is, so that you live together and that it makes sense yeah. to pay taxes and, and the, the sort of that, that people are social beings, it's essentially. So, so it has to, it's a long-term project for Definitely. the left. As, as neoliberalism or neoconservatism, however you want to see it, wasn't successful that early either. Like we now talk about Reagan and Thatcher transforming society. They did, but not during those years. But one of the most shocking things to me teaching in the US, where I taught mostly in what the real, like the heartland is, um, so in the Midwest and in the South, is that most of my students, the vast majority of my students, come from Republican backgrounds. And they will, they will regularly quote Reagan, I paraphrase him, like Reagan famously said that government is the problem, not the solution, right? That was revolutionary in 1980, right? It is complete common sense among the current generation. Like, that is what you're dealing with. So if you're now laying out a social democratic agenda, you build on a foundation that no longer exists, Like large groups of the population, particularly among younger people, look at the state as something that is inefficient because that's what they learned from neoliberalism, right? Um, and so you, you, have, you have to go back. Like, how is it possible that we still think that privatization works when we have public transport like in complete disarray throughout all kinds of things with fewer services, often more expensive for large groups? And yet, like... The, the idea that the market is a better thing than, than the state is omnipresent. Can I ask But, you if... Yeah, um, okay. No. Um, no? No. no. <laughs> well, maybe later. Yeah, maybe later. So, um, we have an election coming up in Sweden in September, and uh, I, I just want to... Your, the point that you're making now, I'm not sure if it's valid for Sweden. I, th I think if you... Or I know that you ask Swedes whether they support the welfare state, they are still very much in favor of pretty high taxes and uh, um, generous welfare state and so forth. But the problem is that that is not the issue that is debated in the election campaign mm -hmm. because both the uh, Social Democrats and the big conservative party have kind of agreed to talk about security. Uh, well, they don't talk about immigration, but it's kind of an ethnified... Um, discourse on mm -hmm. security, I would say. Uh, so instead of talking about the issues that they could have, um, well, they talk about them too, but the, on the top of the agenda, you have this you know, law and order, security um, um, uh, discourse. And I, I guess my, my question to you is, you talked about the, the pol political debate in several dimensions, and we used to have the right wing, the right and left conflict about economic policies and that used to, used to be you know, what elections were about. But now we have this layer of cultural debate that's been going on in the US for decades uh, but that, that kind of trumps everything else and sucks up all the energy. And even though there are real conflicts about taxes and the state, size of the welfare state, it's all still about cultural issues or immigration or you know, uh, security. Why is that and how to break free? Well, I, I think that is for the, for, for the same reason because we don't have ideologies. And yeah. so what we have is issues that are put on the agenda by the radical right to which 
non-ideological parties then respond. But they respond in terms of the debate, which again is set by the radical right. I think a very good example is the Social Democratic Party here in Sweden, which lays out various priorities. Like, there's, personally, I think there's nothing wrong with those priorities. I can easily come up with social, social democratic reasons, like why security is an issue yeah. and why integration is an issue. The point is, it is done in a context that is set by the Sweden Democrats and broader the radical right of nativism. And the Social Democrats don't give an explicit social democratic interpretation of it, which means that everyone reads it, actually. They literally say this is to try to keep people from going to the Sweden Democrats, mm. right? But do you think it's not a smart tactic, or do you think it's just wrong, uh, ideologically wrong? Well, I mean, ideologically, clearly it's wrong, but um, I think in the short term it could work. But we, this has been done in many other countries. Yeah. France has done it. Like, and they thought that Front National was gone. And then, bam, the daughter comes back. Like, Austria has done it. And they thought, oh, FBO is splitting. Bam, back in the, in the coalition. Uh, Denmark has done it. Uh, is now almost going into a radical right social democratic coalition. The point is, and it's logical, because what you do by talking in those terms is implicitly you say the radical right was right. Like the issues that they raised and that we said for decades are racist or bad or, or insignificant, they're actually important. On top of that, their framing was kind of right too. So you might now think that some parties, some voters come back and say, well, I actually think that the established parties are better at getting things done, but you can't get it done. The only way you can get it done is by actually becoming radical right, at which point in time it doesn't matter anymore, like whether there's a radical right. But what you're going to do is you're going to do it kind of half-assed, right? Because you stay in the EU, you, you still bow to like in economic interest, etc., etc. And then, but it's better than radical right policy. No, I mean, no, no, it's not because what you do is you raise the expectations, mm -hmm. and so you now have even more people who think like. This is the key issue. It has to be discussed. And so the next time, like some people will think, okay, so, well, you didn't take care of it. We now all agree that we have to take care of it. So I go to the radical right. Alternatively, which is also bad, people will think, oh, you see, no one is getting things done. I'm not voting anymore. Um, so in the, sh in the longer run, it's not just that it doesn't keep you, the voters, with you. It, to a certain extent, poisons the whole political debate. Can I it's okay um, now, George. Say, <laughs> ask you about uh, technology, and uh, as Karin likes to say, the story of our generation, uh, which is, I think, in, on, on, in a way, behind some of the hysteria of fear that is mirrored in populism, or that allows populists to assemble or to, to um, at least um, um, get a louder voice um, in, in, in the public sphere. But, but do you believe? You said you do, there is no ideology anymore. You can't come up. On the other hand, with you can't make them up. Is technology, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not seeing actually that it's such a disadvantage that there are no ideologies. But is is what? Is, <laughs> what uh, is no? But is is, te is technology in a way offering a way of thinking, or a radical way of rethinking how uh, society is run, how democracy is run, how how um, decisions are made uh, faster, more transparent. Uh, more grassroots oriented. Is that, in your view, uh, a, a place to look for, for re, not for fear, but for hope more? 
No, I mean, for oh. me, oh. For, for me, technology is neutral. Hey, you're, you're yeah. happy with that. Yes. Yeah. Techno- technology is neutral. Um, and, it's and never neutral. It, it, it can be used by anyone. And yeah, so, so it's what, never neutral. It's never I mean, neutral. As, I agree with it, that. It's not good, nor bad, nor neutral. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I think that's not that relevant, too. But I mean, the point is that that same technology that people think started the Arab Spring is being used to kill democracy in Turkey. It's exactly the same democracy uh, uh, technology. I, I think it can play a good role, but it can play a bad role too. It's just who uses it better. Like, so if you look at social media, there's no reason why progressive movements couldn't use it, and to a certain extent do. In the first years, uh, many of the right-wing populists were way better at it. Right? That's not because Twitter is more set for the radical right. It's because Geert Wilders and, De- and Donald Trump were better at, at Twitter than Clinton and whatever Dutch party there is. So I think, I think the transformation is big, but I'm not sure how that translates politically. I think it, it has way more to do with, if I just look at my students, how they consume information. Like, it's totally different. I'm just wondering if you say you have to rethink social democracy as a party. I'm not sure that in this uh, age of... Um, um, massive individualization or annihilation, a party is even um, a, a valid proposition to, for people to organize What's in. your option then, George? Well, Macron somehow. This is in a way a problem or a solution of democracy. It's a movement. So people come together, organize around um, a person, which That's you a would... party, no? No, it's a movement. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> there's but no it, structure. There's no career. There's no, it's not a ticket. But it depends on what the, the party is. That's the problem is. of parties. The, the, the party is a career uh, elevator. Macron is not a careerist. <laughs> yeah, but just a one-man career show. Um. Well, everyone else in that party, it's like Forza Italia. I mean, it has pretty much absorbed all of the dinosaurs of the old system by now. But I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is that it's political parties that are elected. Like, and so it has to go well, so through, far. through those parties. Well, I mean, even if you are going to Listen go to this through, <laughs> if, if you're going to go for individuals, they're going to band together in factions in parliament. Otherwise, they can't get things done. It, I, I don't think that the party is the end-all, be-all of, of things. Um, I think that they have become career structures, and I think that that is a that that is problematic. Um, and again, I think I think everything should should be used. I just don't see why social media should bring about like the kind of a progressive change or revolution I, I, it could happen, it can also go the other way, again as far as I live on Twitter and I, I do way too much um, it's, it's a dark place, it doesn't make me happy at all, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't feel that, that, we, that we progressives are dominating it um, any tweet I have, like I get 20 Islamophobes responding. I don't get all kind of progressives saying, like, "Oh, that's an interesting idea. I'm going to like think about this." Like, it's like the Muslims are coming. That's but the in a way, this goes back to, and that's I think interesting to understand about democracy or liberal democracy or democracy in general that is built on the fear of the people. So democracy is a system in a way to pretend that it's a rule of the people, but, but it's, um, it's not. That's the American sort of that's the way it was built. It's a German. It's a distrust. That's the, the basic of the but representative that, democracy. And that's 
So if with social media, that's in a way deeply challenged because all of a sudden it's, an, it's a level playing field. So no, you have to react no, to that. Yeah. But it's not no. a level playing field. I mean, who, who controls the social media? It's not you and me. It's Russia, maybe. <laughs> well, Russia is definitely not. But, but Russia knows it, it, to play it way better. See, Russia doesn't try to control social media. What Russia tries to do is make you or make people in general not believe anyone. Like, this, is the, this is the difference in propaganda these days. Propaganda is no longer to try to like, convince people of your message. It's to by and large to say, well, no one knows. Right? So right, maybe autocracy is really not worse than democracy. Right? And, and yeah, that- we, we had P- uh, Peter Pomerantsev on the podcast uh, a few weeks back, and he said we talked about politics as a dark carnival and also with his experiences from Russia and just th- that exact point that... Um, um, and I guess my my argument on this would be that there is a, there is an advantage to the non-democrats on with social media because there's something in the algorithms especially on facebook that promotes strong emotions uh f- like fear and we had Zeynep Tufekci on the on the show talking about this also a few, a few weeks back and there's some kind of um um, and it's easier for forces who wants to stir up strong emotions to get uh, traction on social media than it used to be maybe uh, in the old uh, logic, which wasn't good uh, either. But I, w- we need to um, get to the end of this. Get, positive, get to the positive side. Yeah, uh, we need to get to the positive <laughs> side of things. And I want to ask you about the future because... Um, could you say uh, something hopeful? <laughs> Please. Could you say well, I, I something... Forget social democracy. I, I, I Could you current. say social democracy? <laughs> Could you... I will forgive you for asking me this question. You clearly don't know me that long, but no, I'm, I'm not the voice well, of optimism. I, I, just come from you, I just follow you on Twitter, and you <laughs> no. seem very cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I talk a lot about music and, and yeah. about football. Um, but... Um, so um, I, I increasingly actually feel that we have talked ourselves into a crisis, which yeah. means we can talk ourselves out of it. Like it, on, on average, populist parties broadly defined, very, very broadly defined, get not even a quarter of the vote, which means that 75% of the people do not vote for it, vote for basic liberal democratic parties, which means that you have power. We can do what we want. Like we don't. Because we have convinced ourselves that we can't win from populists only by being a populist light. Right? So we can talk ourselves out of the crisis. We did with Macron, and there was no particular reason why we did that. Mm. But, but we decided that like, he is now the savior. And if Merkel had won, right, we would have a completely different conversation. Like this, this, these two. Like things go quick in part because we still decide, like the political status, it's not, the political establishment is still in control. Um, and so I don't, I don't necessarily see that in five years it's worse. My, and it's hard to really end yeah. positively, <laughs> I, my problem is the political mainstream is going to screw it up. Yeah. Um, because you see that already now, I was just at a conference in Greece where the spokesperson of um, Juncker was getting carried away, it was just before the, uh, the Italian elections, and by and large was claiming that the populist moment was kind of gone, 
And rather than saying, well, we're going to like go on with a new vision of Europe, this is by and large just like, well, we go back to what we used to do. Because you see, those populists can't really take care of stuff and, and like we just go what we do. No, there was a problem, right? The populist answer is not the answer. But isn't the pro- sorry, I'm just going to prolong this. But isn't the problem because you talked about the three deman- three dimensions? Isn't the problem that it's just really, really fucking hard to do politics on three in three dimensions? It used to be the national state. It used to be the, your own tax base, and now it's the global versus the, the national. It's the cultural, the libertarian ver- the, versus authoritarian. It's the left and right. Sure, sure, it, it's difficult. Yeah, but th- there is this. I personally think that people understand that it's difficult. Yeah, I agree with that. We, we treat people, even now that we revert them as the people who are pure, we still treat them like children, as if they can't deal with complexity, as if they can't deal with dirty hands, as if they can't deal with compromise. The reason why they're upset is because they see compromises for no apparent reason. Right? If, if you actually said, look, we have to do, look at the Turkey deal. I mean, Jesus, that was like dirty, dirty hands in all kind of ways. Like, it was explained from a right-wing perspective, but it was nevertheless explained as competence. Uh, look, that's why Kurtz won so bigly, right? Um, is it ideal? No, it isn't. Most people, most nativists know it's not ideal. Muslims are still coming, right? But it was the best thing that they could do, and it made sense within the framework. I think that that is, we, we should, like, in that sense trust the people who are a plural a bit more and just like accept that at times you go up and you go down but if you have a plan and people know what you stand for and why you do something they're willing to to give you some space I think that's as uh, that's a perfect as good uh, as, as we'll get uh, <laughs> no one can excuse <laughs> us of uh, not um, thinking that our audience can deal with complicated issues no and I no? think we'll keep I, I like We just said that we have to talk our way out of uh, out of this. Uh, so we'll we'll time. keep doing that um, um, here. So um, for this uh, time, thank you, Kasmude, Mude, sorry for my bad Dutch, um, for enlightening a little bit uh, this dark moment um, and giving and, us some hope. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.